Hello, and welcome to Nerd Plus or Minus. I am your co-host, Brian of Brian's Comics in Petaluma, and I am here, as always, with other co-host, Aiden. Hello. And uh, we are doing a, a special episode uh, this week. Um, Aiden, you are about to return to school, is that correct? In theory, yes. In theory, yes. Uh, in, in theory, the world is going to go back to acting semi-normal, and you will be returning to UC Santa Cruz. Yes, and as a junior. As a junior. And it's only fair that we meant to do this one a long time, not as long as we meant to do Die Hard, but uh, <laughs> uh, we meant to do this one for a while, but we're finally getting around to The Lost Boys, even though it's set in Santa Carla, but, yeah, which, you know. you know, why not just call it Santa Cruz? <laughs> that is, is, there, is there some sort of, like, fun movie trivia behind that? And, uh, no, I, I don't think there's any copyright infringement with uh, Santa, uh, you know, Santa Cruz or anything like that. Um, unless it, you know, maybe there had to do with, like, the surf company or something. But my guess is that they created uh, Santa Carla so they could just kind of do whatever they wanted and not have it be... Real or and whatever. not offend the natives of Santa Cruz, exactly. even though the character of the grandpa is just to make fun of Santa <laughs> Cruz, which I find hilarious. Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, I'm going to run down some of the some of the facts about the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys came out in 1987. It was rated R at the time, and uh, uh, had a runtime has a runtime of one hour and 37 minutes. It was written by Jan Fisher. James Jeremias and Jeffrey Boehm, directed by the great Joel Schumacher, starring Jason Patrick, uh, uh, I almost said Keanu Reeves, Kiefer Sutherland, um, uh, Jamie Gertz, the Corys, the two Corys. In fact, this is the film that launched the two Corys. Ah, gotcha. And um, Diane Weiss and a number of, of other uh, recognizable 80s people, including Alex Winter. Yes, which I was going to bring up. I was like, oh my gosh. The, uh, they, Bill they, is in this movie. Bill is in the movie. Well, Bill is in this movie, and Jason Patrick replaced Keanu in, in Speed 2. So there's a, like, you know... A, no so way, really? Yeah, yeah, Speed they 2. They made a second Speed? They did. Why? It was on a boat. <laughs> There's there's a great there's a great Simpsons line where the uh, the school bus is is out of control and Milhouse is sitting there and says, "Whoa, this is just like Speed Two, but on a bus instead of a boat." <laughs> and and that just oh, pretty much pretty sums funny. up Milhouse there. But anyways, we digress. Um, the the tagline that was on the movie poster was, "Sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die." It's fun to be a vampire. Um, I I have to argue that m this film doesn't necessarily show the fun in being a vampire, but <laughs> yeah, that was funny as I was looking over at the at the DVD case, which we'll get into later, I'm sure. Yes, uh, and I saw that tagline. I was like, it doesn't really portray that whatsoever. It's really just these poor kids being antagonized by vampires completely so this was the first time you saw this movie correct yes first okay. time and first time. obviously you'd heard of it but yes and i i'd heard of it uh just being like oh the santa cruz vampire movie mm -hmm. and also having visited atlantis fantasy world which is a comic book store in santa cruz yes uh the original location of which 
if I'm remembering correctly, was used for many of the comic book shop scenes in this movie. Correct. Yes, in fact, yes, that is Atlantis Fantasy World. Shout out to them. Um, in fact, I uh, I believe that in one quick scene, if you pause it, you can see Joe Ferrara, the owner of Atlantis Fantasy World, in the background oh, playing should, a pinball machine. Like it's 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 one of those like and 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 he's he's you know younger than than he is now obviously um so you may not recognize him but uh yes Glad this was you know that this podcast acknowledges the passage of time <laughs> <laughs> yes we're not time deniers time, here time is canon to the nerd plus or minus <laughs> podcast exactly exactly so yeah so um uh, this was uh, atlantis fantasy world's i want to say original location mm-hmm. um i i believe it was destroyed during the loma Perita earthquake um, and they've moved a couple of times until they're in the location they are now. So gotcha. shout out to them. We love them. They're an awesome store, and they're the Lost Boys store. And if you pop in there, I believe they have um, the Vampires Must Die and Destroy All Vampires comic book cover uh, on display. It's You know, it's funny. It's been so long uh, since I've been in there, but I think they do. Last time I was in there, they had it up behind the counter. I think they used to sell reprints of those. No way. Uh, really? Back back in the day, but um, but yeah, I think I think you can go in there, and if you ask, you can get your picture taken with with the uh, the vampire comic books from from the Lost Boys. So that's I think awesome. that's that's awesome. So let's dive in the Lost Boys. What did, what did you think? Like off the top of your head, I loved it. I think that uh, that it was so much fun. It was really not what I expected. I just thought it kind of served as this really cool combination of different 80s films and a nice like introduction to very rudimentary and interesting vampire lore. But uh, Kiefer Sutherland was great. So Yeah, and this was really the film that like launched him because, I mean, before this he'd been in a couple of things. He was in an episode of Amazing Stories, the Steven Spielberg produced uh, television show, which was kind of like a modern day Twilight Zone. Thank you for the context. Yes, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, he was in Stand by Me. Um, you know, he was yes, and that was that was the film right before this one, if I believe mm-hmm. that he was in. But I mean, he wasn't. He was he was kind of like the he was the bad guy in that. You know, mm-hmm. um, which as David in this film is is kind Still of the same guy. way. So yeah, exactly. Um, but this is really kind of what put him on the map. It's kind of what put Jamie Gertz on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, this was Jason Patrick's map. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, no, I shouldn't I say, say that. But because he's kind of played as the uh, as the protagonist, and I was looking through his other credits, and I was like, I didn't feel like there was anything that topped this. Yeah, he didn't. Um, he didn't explode like a lot of the other. Um, 80s brat pack as they were called uh actors did like um like Kiefer Sutherland did and um and and speaking of of director Joel Schumacher uh the film he did right before this was St. Elmo's Fire which put like a lot of people on the map uh Mm -hmm. Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, um Demi Moore. He did Batman Forever and Cinema hasn't been the same since. Oh yes, well, oh, we're we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, but um, and that's that's why also like I I found it funny in, in this rewatch. There's there's one point where where uh, Sam Corey Hames character has a Rob Lowe poster on his his yeah his I thought that was funny door, too. and I'm like wait oh okay saying Elmo's fire was was right before this. Um, but yeah, I mean like this was a huge launching launching pad for for a lot of these people, and it was kind of an iconic. Uh, it filmed towards the end of the 80s and 
just really kind of like it, yeah. yeah it's it's like set a sense of style it said you know like the soundtrack is full of one hit wonders and covers um although was, nxs it, isn't isn't one hit wonder they you know they they found a lot of success but um, of course i know them as well but yeah like the the soundtrack became very iconic too um i was i did really did the soundtrack it felt very almost in a in a sense similar to a movie that would come out like nowadays that we identify with really good soundtracks like mm-hmm. Guardians or something like that like uh not not in the sense that like it's the same thing but in the sense that like this is a stupid point. I was trying to. No, I think no, I think you know. To your point, um, if you have something like Guardians of the Galaxy, or even just recently, uh, The Suicide Squad came out. Um, if you look at the soundtracks of that, and what James Gunn and directors like Quentin Tarantino have done is they've taken like music from the past, like like real music, not yeah. not soundtrack music from the past, and integrated it into the film, and it works perfectly. And that's that's kind of more what the trend is nowadays or to get like big name bands to record original music for for a film whereas this like you know it it had in excess which was which probably this was the height of their of their career um echo and the Bunnymen covering the doors uh roger daltrey covering uh elton john so i mean like it had it had some i don't want to say big names this that was like after Daltrey's time with the Who, but like it had some known people doing some some known music, but it wasn't. They weren't using the musical star power to draw people in. They were making music for the movie, which I think you know, like that's almost almost a lost art. And yeah. and this this soundtrack kind of like exemplifies uh, that type of uh, of music making. Yeah, I mean, nothing will compare to the to the shirtless saxophone scene. Well, I was going to, you know, I was going to bring up Tim Capella, who, in my opinion, is the MVP of this movie. Absolutely. Like, um, he is like he was, he was Tina Turner's saxophone person. Mm-hmm. And 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 while we're while we're talking about saxophone, I want to talk about like eighties soundtracks and saxophone. Like yes. like the saxophone was was heavy in a lot of eighties music. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially eighties soundtrack. If you listen to like the soundtrack to the Lethal Weapon films or even the you know Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, there's a lot of eighties movies where like saxophone is heavy in the soundtrack. And and it all culminates with Tim Capella and the shirtless oiled uh, vamp- uh, it's, it's, it's just it's camp. It's it is wonderful. like like that and and that scene to me like is so perfect in this movie because like everybody punks uh, 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 everybody across the board is like rocking out to this saxophone music on the beach where this where this big muscle guy who's shirtless and oiled and wearing like yoga pants is playing the saxophone while wearing a bunch of chains and it's just like like only in a movie is something like this going to happen. Like <laughs> it shouldn't work, but it does. Oh no, it shouldn't work at all. But it just, it is such a, I mean, that is, that is such an iconic scene in, in the lost boys. And whenever you talk about the lost boys, after you're done talking about the stars, it's like, and then the saxophone player, like, <laughs> no, and it's so much so that, uh, it's funny when they were doing, I believe, a Lost Boys miniseries, uh, I believe it was Dark Horse, wasn't it? It was no, it was actually Vertigo. It was one of the last Vertigo ah, books. Ah, Vertigo. My bad. Uh, when they were doing a miniseries for that book, uh, a comic book miniseries, I should 
clarify. Mm-hmm. They had that guy as one of the covers, and I was like, Brian, didn't you say this was a movie about the vampires? <laughs> exactly. You- well, and and they actually make him like a, a main character in the comic so much so that he is he, he is a hiding vampire hunter. So like like he actually in the comic book helps the Frog Brothers and 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 Michael and Sam like like fight vampires and it's just and That's and awesome. his his body oil that he is is actually like anointed oil <laughs> so it's just like like you have to justify it <laughs> as I was as I was reading the comic series I'm like okay this is reading exactly like if they rushed a sequel like mm-hmm. in in. 1988 if they went okay we need to make a sequel somebody write this because we got to figure out a way to get Kiefer Sutherland back and have all the main characters you know so yeah so like it it reads like that and up until that point where the shirtless saxophone player which he, he's given a name in the comic book mm. he's the believer the believer okay. because you know his song I still believe yeah. in the in the movie Fair um enough. he's a he's a vampire hunter that that covers himself in anointed oil so mm-hmm. to fight off vampires like it's it's perfect like that's what sold me on the comic that's, book series that's fantastic because it's taking something that everybody loves and just making it even cooler just like yeah. objectively better well and it's like this series like you said it just came out a few years ago so um I, I feel like if they if they were did make an actual sequel like a couple years afterwards, they would have just blown by the the idea of having having Tim Capella in the movie. Yeah. But like like since that is such an iconic part of the Lost Boys, mm-hmm. and to integrate that into the comic book series was fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. I really liked uh, the look of the vampires in this movie. I, I joked, I wrote down in my notes that they're <laughs> like Sith lords with worse teeth. <laughs> Because uh, I thought that I didn't realize how until they did all, all the makeup for all the vampires when they finally show themselves to Michael that like oh this is their true form. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the yellow eyes are just so like piercing. They look amazing. Yeah, it's yeah the makeup in this film is is fantastic. Yeah, and 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 to that point the the eyes that like stare right through you and, and <laughs> yeah when they when they finally turn into vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the rules of vampires in this movie, because every everything, every vampire story, comic, movie, book, they all pick and choose their vampire rules. Yeah, and this movie has very weird rules and extremely weird motivations. Very much so. So um, the uh, 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 garlic works. Mm. Uh, holy water. Yes. Um, uh, steaks. The, the steaks, obviously. They didn't use crosses all that much. Well, the finger cross. Whatever. The finger, the finger cross, but like, which made me laugh. Yeah, yeah which yeah, which was which was more of a joke. Um, and then like signs of a vampire, like I didn't know bad breath was a sign of, of a vamp. Like when they they brought that up, it's like. I mean, I guess the implication is like, oh, I guess blood is salty. So. Or, or or that they're undead, so like they they're rotting from the inside. I'm not sure. It was, that was a weird one to me. That's one of those things where I guess you can pick and choose. And mm-hmm. if there's one weird esoteric thing from this one rule of the vampires in the past, you know, it could be this like super deep lore thing. Right. That, you know, you would have to look into and research, but. I didn't. I mean, I wasn't offended by it. It was no. I wasn't offended by it either. It, it was like just an interesting one. No, and and uh, although it was interesting, and and I like it when they use this one because it's it's. I I always think it's a weird one, but um, it was integral to the storytelling, which was inviting a vampire in. 
Like you have to invite a vampire in. And I've always liked that rule Mm -hmm. because I always thought like, well, I'm just not going to invite anybody in. Then I don't have to worry about vampires. But, but like it, it, it's so integral to the story and it works too. Like it, it's not like, oh, it's a super offhand interaction. It is. It is. Spoilers for The Lost Boys, a movie that came out. Yeah, if you've made it this far and haven't watched The Lost Boys, you may want to go back and watch it because we probably already ruined some things. But yeah, spoiler alert, we're talking about a movie that's many, many years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they, 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 they brought it back and they found that loophole, that storytelling loophole to make it Max, that Max was the like ultimate... like. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad like vampire the head vampire head the vampire. lead vampire yeah ultimate bad vampire sorry head vampire <laughs> so much better uh head vampire um because they had that loophole of inviting into your home mm-hmm. and i think it was you know interesting from a storytelling perspective that it, michael who was trying so bad to like get rid of his vampirism is the one who unknowingly invites max in thinking that you know having no suspicions about him and then uh the frog brothers and sam have all the suspicions in the world, mm-hmm. but because of Michael's actions that they, you know, weren't aware of, couldn't prove anything. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 uh, um, I, I, I yeah, I really like how it, how it comes around like mm-hmm. that. Um, and speaking of the Frog Brothers, so do you think Corey Feldman was told to do that with his voice? <laughs> you know, it's vampires. We're gonna find them. We're gonna kill them. <laughs> yes. And like, I mean, he, at this point, he'd already been in the Goonies. He wasn't, he wasn't Corey Feldman yet. Mm. Um, so I think trying to do the tough guy Rambo voice, mm. um, I, I, my, my guess is that was a creative choice by, by Schumacher. Um, it was a choice, wasn't it? It was, it was a choice. It was, it was definitely a choice. And, uh, um, I, I think it works because as, um, as I was, I was, I was looking up something about the Lost Boys online. It was categorized as horror slash comedy, and I'm like, I hadn't seen it in, in a few years before I watched it again a couple nights ago, and I'm like, are they saying it's comedy now because they're laughing at it? But I, I didn't remember as much humor in the movie as there is because there there is quite a bit, and I think. Um, I think the Frog Brothers, especially uh, Corey Feldman's uh, tough guy voice, like lends to that, to, to the humorous aspect and, and that there is there is some comedic elements of it. Totally. And I think that there were multiple lines almost where he was trying not to laugh as he was delivering them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like watching his eyes thinking like, what's he thinking as he's saying this, <laughs> you know? hilarious line about like we're gonna go kill vampires now like um <laughs> and he just he looks like he's about to crack like it's it's probably six or seven takes in. he's yeah he's barely holding it together himself <laughs> um uh, to be fair the other frog brother much better job <laughs> and you know kind of disappeared into relative obscurity, obscurity yeah. you know I didn't um, recognize the actor. No, and you know he'd been in he'd been in a few things here and there, um, but uh, after spending some time on IMDb, you know, and looking at looking at his uh, resume and and you know just basically refreshing everybody who's in it, I found out something that I did not know until today that there were two 
Lost Boys sequels. Straight to video, <laughs> Lost Boys sequels. One yeah. in 2008, Lost Boys The Tribe, and one in 2010, Lost Boys The Thirst. Uh, 2008, uh, the only returning cast member was Corey Feldman, uh, returning as as one of the two Frog Brothers. Yeah. Um, right. And in fact, that one, it, it, it funnily enough, funnily enough, humorously yeah. enough, um, it also stars... Angus Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland's half-brother. Probably because they couldn't get Kiefer, right? Well, they, they couldn't get anybody except for, except for Corey Feldman involved. But in 2010, Lost Boys the Thirst reunites the Farag brothers, including the original actor who played, uh, um, was it Alan? Edgar and Alan. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, it was Alan. So Corey Feldman was Edgar, and uh, Jameson Newlander was was Alan Frog. He he returns for that one. So interesting, interesting, and I'm guessing not very good. I ones. you know I the fact that I'd never heard of them until now kind of kind of speaks volumes. You oh, know? totally, totally. Um, and the fact that they were direct to video. Yes, exactly. So it's uh, it, maybe one day when I have some time. I watched the trailers for both of them. Mm. Um, I'm not going to be carving out any time yeah. to to watch them, um, but uh, it's it's it it was kind of it was kind of funny that uh, I didn't realize those. I mean, I knew the comic, but I didn't know these. So, which is funny because uh, if you look at the back of like the the graphic novel of the Lost Boys uh, miniseries, it's like the Lost Boys sequel that we've been waiting for. Yes. <laughs> so. I think that that kind of also speaks volumes about the sequels. And it's, it's and and speaking of the comic too, it's one of those, it, much like like the original Halloween too. Like mm-hmm. the comic book takes place like right after, like days after, um, the events of the movie, um, and then it brings back. I mean, there there it's taking some licenses and dancing around for a few things because the whole thing at the end of the movie is that once Max, the uh, head vampire, is dead. Um, it releases all of the other half vampires, half vampires, you know, and that's, Which, that's what restores Michael and Star and and all of that. But yeah, but this this is kind of like yeah, and there are more vampires, and David's back, and you know, so it's it's kind, of, and he's still a vampire, so it's 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 weird. Well, yeah, because that was the other thing about the weird like vampire rules that the movie set up. It was like, okay, so if you kill someone, like if you're a half vampire, then you kill someone, then you're like a real vampire or like a true vampire is what they were. Well, trying and to they were very true. fuzzy about that because you know normally... they were trying to set up like, oh, Star like is supposed to like become a true vampire, and so is Michael. And uh, yeah, they're trying to set up Star as this like she's not really bad because mm-hmm. she's not really a vampire she's yet. She's also not really a character. No, she's 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 almost she's pretty much kind of like a a prop. Yeah. Um, I mean, no offense to Jamie Gertz, but like her, the character that she was given to work with is basically uh, bait for Michael, mm-hmm. and and that's it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then and then there's uh, Lenny or Lemmy or 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 the the kid, you know, the 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 kid that she keeps that's telling. Just like, introduced, I feel like halfway through the movie. Like, did I miss something? Oh like, wait, no, they were in the like. He's, sequence where we were introduced to yeah he's a he's around in the background but like doesn't become anything to the plot until later on where yeah. star you know is trying to take care of him so it's just it's it's kind of weird and are they explained like what's her relation to 
was that explained? It wasn't explained. And in fact, there was one point where they show a milk carton in the kitchen and, mm -hmm. and his picture is on, on the back of it. That's right. Yeah. Um, but then it's not until like later on you lay out, oh, oh, that's, you know, that's the kid. So they're uh -huh. just trying to rescue the kid before he gets thrown into the life of, of yeah. Kiefer Sutherland and, and the boys. Which is, you know, a noble goal. Yes. Uh, I really liked all the missing poster, the missing children posters. Mm -hmm. I just, it reminded me a lot of It, which is a movie that I'm a big fan of. So. Nice. Yeah. And, and it ties and into it was very the, Stephen King. Yes. And it ties into the whole Lost Boys idea, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of like a, a it's a, it's a play on not only um, the lost posters, you know, the missing posters, but also a play on, you know, uh, uh, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys because they live forever. And, you know, mm. so, um, yeah, I, I, I like I, I, I feel that the, the, the title of the film, the name of the film is very is very fitting. Yeah, it's funny now that you bring that up, the title of the film, it's something that I'm only now realizing. And I was kind of sort of realizing it last night, but now really reflecting on it how the uh, differences between how movies were made then and how movies are made now, they never say, like, oh, we are the Lost Boys, you know? There's right. this sort of catering to the audience that people tend to, like, talk about in movies nowadays, but they never they never say, like, that they're the Lost Boys. It's something that's kind of implied, which I suppose makes sense because they are lost and they are boys. Yeah, and that, that brings up, like, sometimes it's very awkward when they obviously try and work the title of a movie into the dialogue mm -hmm. of, of said movie, and it's just kind of like, ugh, that, that really, like, you didn't really need to say it. And and this is one of those one of those instances. What are we, some kind of suicide <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> those... <laughs> it's one of the best... Lines I've been fighting these Star Wars for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh. um, but no, it's 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 like the title, the title works, and they don't force it upon you. It's basically like, you know, it's there. It's mm -hmm. all spelled out. You just have to put the letters together. Totally, totally. And I I thought that the movie's aesthetic was very interesting, comparing. Santa Cruz now to Santa Cruz then. Yeah. Or, or quote-unquote Santa Cruz then, because I'm not, I mean, I suppose other people in my life would have a better perspective on this, but I don't think that Santa Cruz was probably ever that punk. <laughs> uh, I find it the decision to make the punk aesthetic so prominent in the movie interesting when you're trying to show that there are these vampires but when everybody looks like a vampire, and when everybody dresses in this aesthetic that you've established as the vampire aesthetic, yeah, it's odd. So I wonder if there was maybe, I don't know, it seems so silly to suggest now, but it's like, oh, was there world building? That there's like this coven, this like giant coven of vampires? Again, that's a very modern idea to take into a movie that was made at a time before franchises were a thing. Right, like and it's very... Um... I mean, it's it's very like the look is very much of the time. I mean, it's 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 eighties. I don't want to say grunge because it wasn't grunge, but mm. it's like it's like eighties, not quite punk look turned up to eleven. You know? Yeah. To to clarify, I'm just saying it it confuses me as a visual language choice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, and building off of the idea of. 
not Santa Cruz is is yeah, the grand Santa. is the grandfather the grandfather who exists just to make fun of Santa Cruz, which at some point at the very beginning I was like, all right, this is not <laughs> this is in no way even remotely like real life. But then as it went on, I was like, okay, that does feel very Santa Cruz. <laughs> It it kind of it kind of does yeah and and he exists to have the greatest closing line of the film <laughs> oh absolutely which I thought was a very funny line uh you know spoilers for the movie but it's like oh he knew about the vampires the entire time right exactly and of course neglected to mention that because I don't know he was too busy getting high or something well and it's it's one of those things like like he he operates like everybody knows everything he knows mm-hmm. and like. Like the world kind of operates on his level, mm. and vampires are never brought up in his presence. Mm. So why would he ever bring them up? You know, and it was kind of it's it's kind of like one of those things at the end of the movie is like, oh yeah, of course there's like this place is infested with vampires, and yeah, the next line would have been like, why didn't you tell? You know, but yeah, it's 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 funny that he's just like, yeah, of course there's vampires here, you know. Um, yeah, he's it, it, that I I love I love that last line of the film. Yeah, it was it felt like a very fun, you know, irreverent way to like close it out, and yeah. then just immediately cut to black after you see the reaction. Yeah, and and that's the interesting thing too is to close it out. Like if this movie were made today, mm-hmm. it would be like they would pan back and David's body is gone, or you know, like like there's somebody you know somebody sinister is doing something else or there was one more vampire down in that cave that they didn't, you know, like there would have been some kind of cliffhanger because if they're going to make one, why don't they make three? You know, no, Brian, it would be in several subsequent after credit scenes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And (laughs) I was interested to see uh, when the movie first started, I knew it was a Joel Schumacher film. uh, And I was interested to see a movie of his that was considered to be good. Uh, respectfully, respectfully, I yes. like Batman Forever. I'm a Batman Forever defender, and honestly, the more and more I think about it, and the more and more people present the argument that, like, oh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, uh, when you look at the '60s comics, you know, are quote unquote comic accurate. You know, the, I'm, I maybe I'm going crazy, but I'm starting to slip more and more into that mindset. Uh, regardless, it was interesting to see, like, oh, okay, so this is gonna be a good movie of his, and for the most part, I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the opening credits, a Richard Donner production. Yes. I didn't know anything about that. Did he produce it? He produced it, yeah. Yeah, I, I just it, I just think that's cool to see because the only thing I identify him with, obviously, is Superman. Right. Uh, and his cut of Superman, too. Uh, but it's, you know, it's interesting, similar to Joel Schumacher, who I only associate with certain films, mm-hmm. to see that they were, they at least knew each other and that Richard Donner was working on other films as yeah, Joel Schumacher's career is kind of is kind of all over the place because he has this like the, like I mentioned before the year before he did Saint Elmo's Fire, which is this serious drama coming of age movie that probably doesn't age well. I haven't seen it in God knows how long. I've been told um, I have to I have to watch it. It's yeah, it's it's very iconic for that time period and for all of the actors involved. And then he did as we as we spoke the Batman movies and I too am a Batman Forever defender in fact with with the the four the two Burton and the two um uh uh Schumacher films I I kind of have the odd odd even um approach I like the odd ones I don't like the even ones. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm 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 not a huge fan of Batman Returns. Um 
It's kind of bleak. Yeah, I, I think I think I even mentioned it when we did the the Batman '89 uh, podcast. Was that you know I, I I feel like Batman is a Batman film directed by Tim Burton, mm-hmm. where uh, Batman Returns is a Tim Burton film that has Batman in it. Yeah, you know it just it it's that's when his aesthetic kind of switches and it's more Tim Burton than it is. Um, totally. comic book but um he also did uh eight millimeter which was uh an attempt at being a thriller with nicholas cage um tigerland which was a small um uh, uh vietnam film with um oh, i think it was uh and he did another movie that, and the only reason i i i'm trying to remember what the name is but they did a remake of it like a couple of years ago. It had something to do with brain, like oh oh uh, yeah oh yeah because that's the other film with with uh, uh, with Kiefer Sutherland and Flatliners. Yes. Yeah. 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 He he directed Flatliners. In fact, that's that's where you know Keanu kind of carried over. Keanu, God, Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland carried over into that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry guys, I, I know you're both listening, so I apologize for uh, for for you know the, the word slips there. But um, yeah, it was it was uh, a Flatliners. That was because that that was uh, yeah he reunited with uh, um, um, with Kiefer Sutherland. Gotcha, uh, so that was his second time working. With him. Yeah, that was the second time because that was that was not too far after. I guess Flatliners was 1990, so that was three years after. Man, I thought there was a longer. There was a longer uh, stretch in between there. Um, then he did Falling Down, which is a film that would not be made today at all, um, which was uh, about Michael Douglas having a bad day and kind of goes unhinged and kind of goes uh, across Los Angeles, like shooting people and do it like, and it's this whole social commentary thing about like, if a man's pushed too far, he's going to do this. And now it's just like, this is just kind of tasteless and yeah. insulting. Well, Brian, um, I have read The Killing Joke. Well, no, 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 no I, I, yeah, I know. It's, I find it interesting mm-hmm. that there, that it's a movie about somebody who has one bad day and then loses it. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, Colin Farrell, that's who I was trying to think of, bringing him back to Tigerland, which was... Was the, in Falling Down or Tigerland? Uh, Tigerland. Michael Douglas was in, was in Falling Down. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, like, like he had a pretty you know, varied career and, yeah. and, um, he's got a really interesting visual style. He does. He um, does. it's funny. There were, there were multiple times in the, in the movie where I'm like, wow, you really like dragging the opacity like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> up and down, up and down. If you look at things like the, the sunken hotel layer of the vampires and lost boys, and then some of the sets from, from the Batman movies, like they're not too far removed from each no, other. Like if you really turn a black this, light on them, yeah, it's like very like garish, you know, kind of. And it's, uh-huh. it's funny. It's very again. It, it comes back to the idea of camp, which is super entrenched in the idea of vampires. So totally, totally. And it's it's one of those things you can either embrace it or or you can avoid it. You know. And I think I think he I think he embraced it, walked a fine line of embracing the camp of vampires without like venturing into total camp no totally and it's funny i really appreciate that because i feel like uh in our industry today not a lot of people doing that unfortunately yeah it's it's very self-serious or if it's or if something is funny it's funny and an ironic or you know no one is willing to make something that it will intentionally get laughed at 
Yeah, and and you know one of the interesting things that I, I, about and again I I only watched the trailers for the for the two uh, Lost Boy sequels is that they were all about things exploding and uh, Corey Feldman saying you know Woody one-liners still doing the Rambo voice and it was just it like it it just didn't it didn't have the heart that this film has I mean no pun intended um, and, I mean not not that not sorry that, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> not that this film has, um, like, like love at the center of it or anything like that. But like it, it like it really. You can tell that the people involved with making of it are really um, excited about it. Totally, totally. Um, I kind of wish we got more scenes of the vampires like messing people up and killing people, which sounds really bad out of context but what i mean by that is i wish that they uh that he had the time to build that menace because i understood that they were you know going around hunting people and stuff like that but i just wasn't i was intimidated by their appearance and nothing else and then i felt like the fraud brothers and and sam were very prepared to take them on yeah i i i i I see your point and i like the build-up of it because it's one of those things that um you know they take out the the security guard in the very beginning and you don't really see anything he's just being ripped up into the air you know um and then when they turn michael like it's a very unvampire movie trope where it's just like here drink this and then it's like okay you're half vampire now because like like they gave him a bottle of wine that is blood isn't blood is max's blood maybe you know and like like turns turns him into half vampire and then to fully become a vampire you have to like make your kill you have to you must feed um so i like that you know it's all of these like vampires are cool vampires are just hanging underneath railroad tracks and riding dirt bikes on the beach like like that's all we are that's you know that's really what we are and then they build up to this point where it's just like nope now we're gonna go kill these people you know so i felt like like you know if 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 the movie were made today it would be like bloodbath 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 exposition bloodbath you know and then major bloodbath at the end where i like that when that scene comes and especially at the time back in the day it was just like whoa like like this is going far beyond just like a teen angst vampire type of film. Totally, totally. In Twilight, this is not. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, which, which is funny because I feel like I'm no, I'm no connoisseur of the Twilight films, but I think that this laid the groundwork of like, oh, vampires hiding in plain sight, uh, just being normal people, and then you know, yeah. actually being these other creatures right right. that's my that's my thoughtful critique of those movies (laughs) um but yeah it's interesting um was joel schumacher out i mean i i assume he probably wasn't but joel schumacher was not out at this point when this movie was made right no no i don't think so i think that that there's an interesting retrospective conversation to be had there uh uh, i took this wonderful class at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Uh, Santa Cruz, of course, the basis for Santa Carla. Of course. Uh, just making sure the audience knows that. Um, <laughs> get your plug in for yeah, the school. <laughs> just get my plug in for the school. Um, really interesting topic that was brought up in Monsters class about how 
monsters that we uh, write about or hear about in stories are so often tied to cultural fears. Mm -hmm. And the, the big fear surrounding uh, vampires is the fear of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And especially in the original uh, Dracula book, I, I may be misremembering, but my my from what I remember being told, it was all about trying to possess Jonathan. Like uh, the vampires were trying to get to Jonathan, possess Jonathan, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting in retrospect that you know Joel Schumacher, obviously not out of the time, but a uh, gay man was able to direct this film with all the camp. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, it's just an interesting conversation. And also, again, they were trying to possess, like get Michael. They were trying to make Michael part of their um, part of their posse of Lost Boys. So I just think it's an interesting connection to draw. Yeah, that's no, that's that's uh, that's a very good point. I mean, especially because this is I don't know at one point uh, at what point he did come out. Um, I don't remember it being um, you know a a. Like, I mean, it definitely wasn't something that was talked about at the time, you know, oh, yeah. um, especially, you know, around a director of, of major films like this. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, that's a that's a very good point. That's a very, very interesting, you know, way to look at, at this. Um, and, and it also kind of speaks more to what we were saying earlier about Jamie Gertz's character of Star just kind of being... Um, just being a, a prop. Yeah, she's not really like the there. focus. She's not the focus at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's mainly between David and Michael. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just thought I would I would throw that out there. That was my one thoughtful contribution. To the conversation. That's that's very that's very thoughtful. I mean, yours yours was very thoughtful. Mine was just to make sure we give uh, Tim Capello a lot of credit. You oh, know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yes, no. When you look like that. <laughs> so so um, another interesting thing that came up. Um, when uh, uh, when we decided to to choose this movie, it was originally on HBO Max, and then ah, they removed it. We removed it, and so I happened to own it on DVD, and so I that's how I watched it, and I I loaned it to Aiden, um, and um, I texted him and said, um, you know, make sure you watch. Uh, you know, the the disc is two sided. One side is. Uh, widescreen the other side is pan and scan make sure you watch the widescreen side Um, and he texted back um, seeing that I have no idea what the hell pan and scan is (laughs) um, which then I was just like this is perfect this is a perfect conversation to tie into this um, because while the Lost Boys isn't exactly like the the like poster child or textbook example of what a, a film format should be talking about the difference between widescreen and pan and scan and what that means now in the year 2021 is uh this is a good conversation to have well i just i gotta make some stuff clear first i don't want these like 30 plus year old fogies thinking that i have no idea (laughs) what these media like I, i watched the prequels on vhs all right i know what a vhs is i had cassette tapes when i was younger I've seen a double-sided DVD. I've no idea what the hell pan scan is. But <laughs> yes, okay. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to paint that you didn't know what you know yeah. all of this stuff is because you know the, you're you're old enough that those formats still mm. still play. But okay. So what is pan and scan? Mm. So um, back in the day, uh, I hate saying that, but back in my day, no, mm. back in the day, um, television 
was square. Yeah, four which by three. You, yeah, four by three. So, um, and movies. Box, yeah. <laughs> so, and movies to, well, to compete uh, with television back in the day, that's when they made widescreen. And, th and this is bringing back my previous life because this is something I had to deal with on a daily basis. So, um, when you're making a film in widescreen, be it. Um, be it 16 by 9 or 240 or whatever, um, you're making it wider. You are now making a rectangle yeah. instead of a square. Yeah. So when you take that rectangle mm -hmm. and you watch it on a square, mm -hmm. when you have a, a shot where you have two people sitting at a dinner table having a conversation with each other, yeah. um, when you see that in on the movie screen, those two people are sitting there. It's a wide shot. They're talking to each other across the table. When you then put it on TV, where do you focus? The conversation is going back and forth. You can't focus on the middle of the table because then you're just going to get two noses on the very side of the screen. So that's when they introduced something called, I mean, it, it, the, the, the slang term was pan and scan, but I mean, that was basically what it was called. So people would go through and to format movies to be shown on television or to be shown on, on early VHS tapes, mm -hmm. uh, they would have to determine they would have to determine what was important and needed to be shown at the time. So if you have a shot on the movie screen where it's two people across the table talking to each other, now when it's on TV, you're going to be focusing on person one when they're talking. Mm -hmm. Then then scan over and focus on person two when they're talking, and then go back to person one when they're talking. So it actually alters the way you're, you're viewing the film. So where yeah. at one time it was a um, it was a, yeah a static shot. You're now getting cutaways that some guy in a editing booth who had nothing to do with the way the film was made is now determining. Oh, okay, well, person A needs to talk, and then and then we go over here. Weird. So, are there are they cuts or are they like pans? Sometimes they're actual pans where it's like they 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 pan and they scan they pan across the the actual image to the other person, and you can tell the trained eye. Like if you've seen it enough, you can tell it's like this is not a camera movement. Yeah, it's completely this is disrupting a, the natural cinematography. Exactly, and and so and I mean, and it's not just for scenes like that. It seems like if you have a wide screen of, of of like an action shot, what part are you going to show? The person shooting or the thing that's blowing up that they're shooting? Like like there's it it now becomes this challenge, this puzzle where somebody else who is not involved with the original making of the film gets to determine what is important and what needs to be shown. So was the pan and scan technology developed for like four by three box TVs? Yes. Okay. I was yeah. going to say, because this widescreen makes sense. You can just present the whole image. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day, early motion picture format was four by three. Yeah. And then when they had to compete with television, which was four by three, that's when widescreen came in. So then to take a rectangle into a square box, mm -hmm. like you have to either do something like, um, like, uh, like widescreen, yeah. which was where they put the black bar at the top and the bottom. Yeah. I was going to say, and even that quote unquote, like whole image really, you know, you've got the black bars on top and bottom and it's what actually like 21 by nine, right? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're getting, you're getting a lot closer and you're, you don't have to worry about pan and scan mm. and, and things like that, but you're also getting a smaller image and you're not quite getting the full thing yeah. or there'd be pan and scan, which most people preferred 
because there were a lot of people. I mean, it, one, it wasn't standard to find a widescreen version. In fact, you at the it time, was a selling point, right? yeah, it was, you either had to buy a widescreen or a um, or a pan and scan version, or as they called it, standard. That was called the standard version. Um, and even then, a lot of the times the widescreen stuff wasn't available. It wasn't until enough uh, cinephiles like when they realized, oh, there's a market for this. There's people who actually want to watch it that way. Mm. There's people who have never seen 2001 or or Lawrence of Arabia in any other way than pan and scan. You know, so uh, this it was kind of a, a selling point, and then eventually became. You know, once the technology like DVD was around, you could do two-sided. It's like now we're it's the best of both worlds. But you know, people can be can choose which to do. And then eventually, televisions became, you know, the 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 larger format, the wider format that we have today. And you know, pan and scan is is thankfully a thing of the past. Yeah, interesting how quick, quote unquote, quick we were to move on from something like pan and scan. But mm -hmm. yet we're still holding on to stuff like DVDs to this day. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, Panda Scan was around for 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 years. I mean, up until um, this DVD was produced in two thousand seven. That's I true. I mean, it's it was it still wasn't fully accepted as a you know um, as, as I mean, it was still considered mainstream standard. Gotcha. You know? Well, from what I was, uh, from what I understand, and what actually you and I were talking about a little bit before the podcast, we were talking a little about it, a little bit about format wars. Mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand, the although the transition from you know standard definition TVs to high definition widescreen TVs was faster mm -hmm. than you know certainly stuff today, like going from full HD to 4K. There was still a time period where people had, you know, box TVs for a while, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. And it, I mean, and and because because uh, the high definition televisions were, you know, they were so outrageously expensive compared to you know the the your 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 box TV that that is you know works. Yeah, it works. And you know, why change all your VHSs over to to DVDs if you're still going to watch it on on a tube? You know, it's yeah. like you're not going to fully appreciate the difference between, you know, the, the upgrade of, and the leap of technology. And so, um, you know, all of that started changing and all of that started, you know, switching over to what, you know, the standard it is now. So much so that uh, earlier this year at a yard sale at, at my parents' house and had a um, they had a huge tube box square television that we put out for free mm -hmm. that nobody took. Like nobody wanted, because it's just it's it's so obsolete technology now. Oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah, so that's that's what pan and scan is, and, and and I almost I almost want you to like take the DVD back yeah, and and watch the other side and see what you know. Well, because I, I, I didn't watch the pan like I I can't I couldn't do it, but now I'm interested like. What does pan and scan look like? And well, how I, I just want to paint a picture for the audience. The the amount of pressure I was under to try to figure out which side was which. <laughs> yes, yes. Because so if you don't remember two sided DVDs, well, good for you, man. Like, so yeah, when when we were having said text conversation about about it, um, the two sided DVDs, there was writing in microscopic letters around the center hole mm. on one side. Yes. And it says, like... Reverse side widescreen. Now, which side <laughs> is the reverse... Like, are you talking about 
when you say reverse side, are you saying the side that is currently facing down, the reverse side is the white screen? So that would be the side that it is. Because there's on. there's no clear front side. <laughs> yes, there is no. Is the front side the side that has stuff printed on it? So. Yeah, so on top of dealing with this and realizing that, and Brian telling me there is a version of this that you have to watch, and one of them is incorrect. <laughs> well, I wanted I wanted you to, like, if you didn't figure it out, get into it, and you're like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> but on top of this, on top of this, my uh, I was watching this on on my uh, screen, and then I had my uh, I was using my PlayStation to watch it, and my PlayStation oriented vertically. And I had not put a disc in it in a while, so I did not know which side was up and which side was down. So I'm really just sticking this disc in and praying that it's the right side. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. And luckily, um, I just put the disc in uh, with the uh, side facing down that you had facing down originally, uh -huh. and um, and it was the widescreen version. And I was like, ah, there we go. <laughs> not gonna learn what pan and scan is today. I had to save that for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was the other thing. Like, like when you said, "What the hell is Panascan?" I'm like, "Well, it's something we're going to talk about tomorrow." <laughs> so, so on a widescreen TV, would like if I watched uh, the pan and scan version, would it? So it, it would fill. It would be four by three. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if now it's going to be four by three with black bars on the side, or if it's actually just going. It's going to stretch, and everything's going to look. Not great. Vaguely anamorphic. Yeah, that's um, what I was wondering. Yeah, um, because I I, 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 I think it depends on the setting of, of the player and, and, and all of that. So um, I'm going to have to check that out because yeah. uh, I think I have some other... Editing Brian might pop in. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have, uh, I think I have some other like non-pan, non-widescreen DVDs, like early DVDs. That I might yeah. have to uh, pop in and see what it what it looks like. Because every that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. And then also, I've seen some DVDs. You know, I've seen some DVDs in my time <laughs> that uh, you know have are one sided and have both versions, or like they have a widescreen version and a full screen version on one side. Yeah, and I think once the technology and the compression was was better. Um, they could store more information and, and you could actually choose yeah. which version you wanted to watch in the menu mm -hmm. instead of having, you know, because I don't even think there's any bonus features on this disc. I think it's just the movie on one side or the other. Because uh, you pop it in and it just starts the playing. Menu. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I figured out how. I don't, you know, don't ask me. But uh, yeah, there was some stuff and I, I didn't really. Click on it. There was some stuff about like where they were filming, and I wanted to see. Oh, nice! Like, do they mention uh, Atlantis Fantasy World at all? But and it was it was weird. It was like almost a menu that you clicked through, and there was some text. Gotcha. Um, and no, no dice. If but, you ha if you haven't been on the Atlantis Fantasy World website, there's actually a section about the Lost Boys, and there's I a few have. behind the scenes photographs um, of them shooting in that old location. Yeah. Um, was the was the implication um, and or was the real Atlantis Fantasy World located on the boardwalk? Yes, I believe it was located on, on the boardwalk. Oh no! Or way. at least near the boardwalk. Not necessarily. I don't think like smack dab in the middle of the boardwalk, but I think it was located near it. Um, but definitely the implication of the movie. Yeah, it was shot the, like it was. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Hollywood magic. Very yes, <laughs> and and the and the boardwalk. I, I thought it was interesting. It, certain parts of it 
very similar. Certain parts of it, very different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the the Skyway trams and and, and things yes. like that. Yeah. And, that was... and there was a shot, uh, you know, of one of the the trams, and it had the like the caveman, the caveman looking guy. Yeah. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. They still have that. Uh, yeah. But there's some there's some interesting things for natives of Santa Cruz. Yeah, and I like that um, that Joel Schumacher and Warner Brothers, you know, forked out the money for not one but two helicopter shots into like the <laughs> the the boardwalk area, you know, yeah. at night. You know, that's how the film starts, and then that's the the and the right before the saxophone scene starts. And, oh yeah. And um, oh, and then they do another one. Well, I, I, I into the uh, into the the cave of. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're still, oh my bad. And then they do that reverse. It's, I, I always enjoy it when they when it's basically they use the same shot, they just reverse it, and you can tell because the waves are like not quite going the way they're supposed I, to be. I didn't notice that uh, the first time I watched it, but uh, if I ever watch, well, I mean, if I ever watch it a second time, I'll the, definitely watch it. Again. You can find that in a lot of. Um, um, I hate to say older films, but now Lost Boys is an older film. Like, um, and even films before that, there's there's one shot in in A New Hope in Star Wars where the uh, the Tuscan Raider is standing over Luke, mm. and he's raving, raising his stick, you know, right yeah. after he attacked him. No, yeah, and they and, and they, they, they just like reverse forth, right? it a couple. Yeah, they scrub it a couple of times back and forth, and it doesn't look right. You know, you're like, what? Why does this look weird? It's because I think they might have like cleaned it's it up funny since I, then but I, I need to i should probably go back and watch that because i was watching i i, I think it was like empire of dreams or something on on disney plus uh -huh. which was the the documentary on the first three films and i i had no idea that that was a thing and then they showed that and i was like oh that's the best yeah. thing ever yeah but it's it's great because i mean it it saves money and unless you're really looking you're not going to know that say, this is the same shot shown backwards i don't trust george lucas to have not messed with that it's all cgi arms now oh yeah i mean it's you now it's all like and yeah exactly <laughs> uh, yeah i was impressed also actually funny bringing up cgi uh, so now you can't cut that bit about Star Wars. <laughs> um, I mean, CGI, not a huge thing in, in films like of this era, right? No. Gotcha. Um, okay, well then, so, sort of a moot point. Sorry. Yeah, in but fact, like, one was... of the things that, that made me question that was there was the shot, um, there was the shot of when they're riding the motorcycles towards the cliff and there's a, there's a, it pulls out and it shows the lighthouse, but yeah. it doesn't look real. I don't think that's computer generated. Could it be? Um, I, I don't quite remember what you're talking about, but like, could it have been green screen or like? No, I mean, it was, it was dark. My, my guess is it was some form of animation maybe. Gotcha. Um, and, but it's just a quick shot. It's like when they're riding the motorcycles and he doesn't know they're coming up on a cliff. Yes. And yes. it pulls back and it shows the lighthouse and kind of like, but the lighthouse doesn't look real and it's not, it doesn't look like a real shot. Gotcha. Um, but that's something you can get away with, with that like limited. Right. You know, right. Visibility. I mean, the first, um, the first CGI shot in a film was done before that. It was, um, it was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Um, the great movie. Wait, now I gotta now I gotta fact check this. Yes, so it was Star Trek II. It was Star Trek II um, had the very first um, computer generated animation, and it was it was of. Um, the planet being uh, being formed by the Genesis device. 
So final thoughts on the loan? It's a plus, Brian. <laughs> yes. It's very good. It's, yes. It's very, I mean, I, 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 I had high hopes um, from the beginning, not just because, I mean, you have very good taste. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Except also, for maybe Buckaroo Banzai, in your opinion. Buckaroo Banzai. Well, it's just like, oh gosh, that movie, that, it's more dense than I could have <laughs> Like something about, and then they do some weird, super off-brand like humor thing where it's like, eh, it's watermelon. Like, okay. <laughs> that watermelon is great. No, watermelon, okay, uh, yeah, if you I, haven't listened, listen to the uh, Buckaroo Banzai yeah, podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of lost. I don't sound like I'm fully there. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, it's it, it it is because of the film. Yeah, um, but no, I love this movie. I I feel like I have to get. A Lost Boys poster for the apartment now. Oh, I I, I, I kind of think you have to. Yeah, because it'd feel wrong if I didn't. Yeah. Because I, I go to Atlanta's Fantasy World. I enjoy Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. I like the movie. I like Joel Schumacher for the most part. So, yeah. yeah I Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm buying one. Yeah. This is, um, I got to I gotta say, this movie aged well. Um, I Was mean, there the, stuff that you were worried about? Well, there's a lot of films that I go back and, and have revisited from that time period. And it's kind of like, man, I... I wish I didn't rewatch that yeah. or, you know, it's just like, Oh, that didn't age well. Um, but I felt like this movie aged well. Um, ex- like the only exception is that for some reason in, in, in this watching and, and, and Jennifer agreed, like, mm. um, in fact, she made it the point before I, I made the point. Mm. It was that Diane Weiss's character is just so like, like she's the, she's like the weakest character in the movie and it's just so like god she's annoying (laughs) you know um but she's also kind of like the linchpin of the film because max is trying to turn her to yeah you know make a whole family which doesn't immediately make itself clear until later well until he reveals his james bondian monologue you know like james bond villain monologue which yeah no it's funny now that you bring bring it back to that it's like oh yeah he wanted to get michael why did you want to get michael how did you know michael existed what are you like what what, you know the plan doesn't necessarily hold up history no i mean if yeah i mean if you if you nitpick like eh, you know but uh, you want the whole family why do you want the whole family but there's no like huge like oh god or you know huge like disconnect or plot holes no or, not at all it's just it's it's an 80s um Simple very goddess. 80s like vampire movie and um not made in a way that it's going to be a franchise or anything like that so i mean it's it's just kind of it's this nice here it is mm-hmm. here's a slice of the 80s that actually holds up gotcha and what was it's funny i was thinking about this yesterday as i was watching the movie there was like another vampire movie i thought that you had recommended to me and I forgot what it is. And for some reason, I thought there was a truck involved. Maybe there were truckers. I don't, like, oh, there's a movie. Well, there's From Dust Till Dawn. What, what's that movie about? That's the uh, the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez. No, I don't Are we talking about Maximum Overdrive? Maximum Overdrive. Yes, okay, that's not vampires. Not vampires. No, that's not vampires. But yes, mm. like, like <laughs> that movie's so... I, 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 that see that's one I I'd be willing to bet if if I rewatched it now would not hold up. Gotcha. Just like effects wise, uh, just everything wise. Everything yeah. Um, you know it's it's. Um, Was that the werewolves or something? No, it's about uh, basically uh, cars coming to life and killing people. <laughs> okay. Yes. Right. Uh, let let me see if. Uh, 
over maximum overdrive is streaming anywhere because that might be our next uh uh well every it's it's every place for 399 um so it's 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 relatively cheap so you know See, i don't know if this is the one I don't know if this is what we're talking about, but hey, you know, it might as well, right? Well, Maximum Overdrive, it was Emilio Estevez. It was uh, uh, it was based on a Stephen King uh, um, short story, mm-hmm. and it's basically about... Uh, and he directed it, too. Yes, he did. It was... He, he, he did direct it. Um, it was basically about cars, trucks that come to life and want to kill people. And like it was, it was huge for me because like the main truck (laughs) sounds weird to say. No, the main truck for some reason, and I don't know how they they got this, but the main truck had it was for like a, a a fake toy company, but it had the Green Goblin on the front. Like the face of of exactly the Green Goblin. Oh yes, from, no, from the comic I've, books. I've, and like I've, that's, seen, I've seen dumb clips of that. Th- movie. That is so like that is so I, I, iconic. It's just like, wh- like how did how did they do that? You yeah, know? I've seen that movie get made fun of now. Oh yeah. no, that 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 movie. I mean, it's it's. You're telling me it's not cinema, Brian. I mean, it 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 is. It's it's Emilio Estevez and. You know, Pat Hingle, the the Commissioner Gordon from the from oh. the Tim Burton movies, and Yardley Smith not being Lisa Simpson, um, <laughs> but sounding incredibly like Lisa Simpson. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, that is definitely one of those films that I mean, it, I I knew it wasn't good back then, but I enjoyed the hell of it out of it. Mm. If I watched it now, I don't know if it would like I don't know if, if I'd be able to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, very simple premise. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, we might end up watching that. Yeah, so. that might that might be one. Although we have to do we have to do Cobra Kai because I've I've been promising that we'll do Cobra Kai oh, I, for it's, a it's, while it's now. It's not like it's not like a you know a pact that we made. You know? <laughs> we didn't sign it in blood. Or I, I mean, season four is coming this year. Which Se- season four is coming happy. this year. So so here we go. I I will say right now before season four comes out we will do a cobra kai episode. or do you want to because i think season four is let me look up when season four is coming out because i think it's coming out in december okay because if it's coming out in december because i still have to finish season three gotcha which i'm almost done with but. well point if you if we finish season three i feel like i mean when i finished season three i was like i want to season four right now so, <laughs> um oh okay near you this december okay yeah um Gotcha. Because I was looking for a number, and I was like, "Why do I see no numbers?" <laughs> um, they haven't. They haven't announced a drop date yet. Yeah. Um, we can totally do another episode before the before I leave. Like if we if we do something, you know, we could turn it around pretty quick. We might be able to do something. Um, but if you want to wait for Cobra Kai, like for season four, and do one when I come back. Yeah, we might have to do. Because, we might have to because that's all I'll be thinking about. True. True. Yeah. Let's save it for. Let's save it for. Mm. For then, and and I will I would get a payoff that I'm that I'm waiting for. So excellent. Yes. Okay, we'll do that. So so next next uh, next episode to be determined. TV. TV. Yeah. And uh, um. Oh yeah, and of course I give Lost Boys a plus. Okay, I would hope so. Yeah. 
Anyways, thank you all for listening, um, if you made it this far. And uh, um, if you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch uh, The Lost Boys. I think it, uh, I think it will uh, surprise you. Um, anyways, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. take the microphone and make sure that she's, you know, breathing into it, if that's what you need. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another fun-filled, exciting episode of Sona Pulls on My Mic Cord. <laughs> no, that's that's not cool. Okay. No, I know. Are you going to be a problem? I don't think so. Okay. okay. Just chill out. <laughs> now you have to keep that. Yeah, now I got to kind of keep that.